Acts chapter 2. Good to see you. Let's stand for the reading of the Scripture tonight. This is one of those passages that you might have a tendency to read without giving it your full attention because there are many parts of it that are familiar, but I think you'll see as we go through the message, we want to look at it maybe with a little different light uh, tonight. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Not a bad day at the office, right? <laughs> 3,000 people get saved and baptized, added to the church. Verse 42 says, And they, these new converts, these church members, this church as a whole, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now I want to begin tonight by emphasizing a phrase in the 47th verse. Having favor with all the people. What does that mean? Having favor this church in Jerusalem. Having favor with all the people. If that phrase, having favor with all the people, means all the people in the church, then that would be a good thing. That would be a blessing. But if it's talking about all the people in the community, having favor with all the people in Jerusalem, that's another thing. And that is the case. Now it matters what the community thinks about us. Amen? I don't know how many, but I would estimate that within five miles of where we stand tonight, there are 20 groups of people that call themselves churches. There could be more than 20. That's all the fingers and toes I have. Five miles. I'm sure there's 20 congregations. If you were to double that mileage and say in 10 miles, you'd more than double that number. 40, 50 churches within 10 miles probably. My question is, I wonder how much influence we're having in the community. I know the community's having a lot of influence on us. I wonder how much influence we're having in the community. And so I want to, I want to look at this passage tonight and, and talk about this subject, influencing a community. Because I believe this church was doing that. Here, this church we're talking about. I believe they were doing that. Our Father, we thank you tonight for your word, and we pray that you'd help us as we study tonight. 
to receive with meekness the engrafted word. We thank you for allowing us to be here. I'm grateful, Lord, for the Sunday night service. We can assemble like this and sing praises to your name and worship you. That we can read the holy word of God. Read about churches, real churches, in a real Bible, in a real place. That we can learn together from them and about them. And I pray that you'd help us tonight to do that. May the Spirit of God work. We pray that the devil would not be able to work, hinder your purpose and plan for this meeting. Dear God, we pray that you'd help us to want to be like this church. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a little background uh, about the state of this church. We're reading about a local congregation here in Acts chapter 2 in the city of Jerusalem. The Bible calls it a church in verse 47. The Lord added to the church. The word, as you know, church is a translation of the Greek word ekklesia. And I emphasize that from time to time because it matters. The word means an assembly. You can't have a church that doesn't assemble. There's no such thing as a universal, invisible, mystical body that can't assemble. This, this was a real church. They got together. They assembled. They came together. It was a church in Jerusalem. Jesus said that he would start this church during his earthly ministry. And he said, upon this rock I will build my church. That church was in existence during his ministry because he said, if someone trespasses against you, take it issue to the church. The church existed. It was the church that Jesus started. And it's Jesus is giving us a record here about that church. This is, this is the activities You know, if you were to look at a church program, our church, any church, look at a church program, look at the activities of the church, we may talk about a senior citizen's luncheon and and children's church activities and things of that nature. But here's, here's the program here of the church. This is what the church looks like and this is what they're doing. It was established and it's been through some amazing things. Think about it. They were, they were assembled during Jesus' earthly ministry. They witnessed as the tide of popularity turned against him and turned against them in the latter days. They witnessed the betrayal and the crucifixion of Christ. Three days later, they saw him visibly as he had risen from the dead. And then for 40 days, he spent with these church members for 40 days. Spending time with them, teaching them, instructing them, admonishing them, edifying them. Then he ascended. But before he ascended, he said to them, tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Tarry and wait until the power of God comes upon you. Promised and it happened in the first chapter of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Peter, as we're just bringing ourselves up to Acts chapter 2, preached the gospel on that day and a multitude of people were saved. Isn't that wonderful? And baptized. Then we see what they're doing in verses 42 and following. Let's go back to that phrase, though, at the end of verse 47. Think about that. Praising God and having favor. What does that mean, having favor with all the people? The word favor is translated from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. 
often translated as grace, sometimes translated as gift. It's grace. It's the divine influence of God upon a heart. That's one definition of this charis. And they, they were having favor with all the people. This phrase, look at this phrase in verse 47. Having favor with all the people. That's very similar to what it said about Jesus in Luke chapter 2 when it says, He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus had favor with God and man. God was favorable with him in his youth. But he was also respected or favored in the community. Acts chapter 2 says Jesus was. As a boy, as a young man, he was favored in the community. That's, the, that's what it's saying here. This is what it's teaching us. Hold your finger there in Acts chapter 2 and go to the right just a little bit to Acts chapter 7. We'll look at one more example of this word favor and how it's used. Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. This is the message that Stephen was preaching before he was murdered. And a part of that is in verse 9. If you look there, and it says, And the patriarchs, we're in Acts 7, 9. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. You remember that? How Joseph's envious brothers <coughs> sold him as a slave? That's what it's talking about in verse 9. And then it says this about him in verse 10. And delivered him... Joseph, out of all his afflictions, and gave him, there's the word again, favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he, the king of Egypt, made him Joseph governor over Egypt in all his house. God gave him favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. God gave Jesus favor in the eyes of God and all the people. In Acts chapter 2, the same word is used. This church, this, this church, this church was not like most churches. This was a church of radicals. I mean, they were, these people were 100% Christians. As, as, as Brother Leon Kilberth preached here many, many, many years ago, the sermon on Sunday morning, I'll never forget, he said, I want to be a maximum Christian. Not just a minimum Christian, I want to be a maximum Christian. This, this is what this church was like, and yet they had favor in their community. That's interesting to think about to me. They had favor among all the people. Apparently, the residents of Jerusalem, at least at this time, looked at them in a favorable way. It doesn't mean all of them were saved. It doesn't mean all of them were accepting of the gospel. But they were having a positive influence on the lives of people in their community. That's what that's telling us. And by the way, that ought to be the desire of every church. That ought to be the desire of every Christian. Young person, listen. We, it ought to be a part of what we want to do is to make a positive impression on other people for the gospel's sake. It matters what people think about you. When they look at you, when they hear your conversations, what do they think about us? That we, we would want to make a, a positive impression doesn't save them. It just gives them a favorable view of what Christians are like. 
Now, we know that they faced persecution, right? If we were to read further in the book of Acts, they faced persecution. But it wasn't necessarily persecution by everyone in the city. It was usually these religious elitists, these arrogant Jewish establishment people that persecuted Jesus Christ and his people. It wasn't all the people. The influence of Christ and his gospel in this community is tied to the church. It's because of the way the church lived. And I think, I think about our church, and I think about this 20 churches that are within so many miles of us, and we should want to have a positive influence on our community. It matters what people think about us. It matters what they think about you as an employee or an employer, what, about what you, they think about what they think about you as a neighbor, as someone who shops where they are. It matters what they think about us. Great damage can be done to the cause of Christ by Christians, those who profess to be saved, who have a bad testimony, who, who don't have lead a good example. So this church. This is what I take away from verse 47. This church was having favor with all the people. And so what was it that made the church favorable? What was it about this church that made them so influential? I believe the Bible tells us. I think the Bible is clear about the, the character of this church, the activities of this church, the behavior of this church that gave them such a positive influence. Now think about what it wasn't. It wasn't just their promotions. It wasn't their marketing techniques. It wasn't media campaigns. There's nothing wrong with those things, right? There's nothing wrong with having a big day or having Facebook ads. Or, there's nothing wrong with those things. But they didn't have those things. They didn't have those tools. They didn't have the advantage of social media to shape the opinions, to promote family-friendly ministries. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have any of those things. What did they have? What did they have that gave them influence in their community? What was it that they had that caused them to have favor among all the people? What did they have that was impacting their city? And I would like to suggest it was a spirit of revival in that church that was impacting public community, the public opinion, the public mentality toward that congregation. It didn't even have to do with their outreach, though outreach was a part of it. What was it about these people? We're going to look in Acts chapter 2 for a little bit tonight and just talk about what this church did. But I want to say, first of all, one thing you have to say about them, they were genuine converts. They were genuine converts. They were born again followers of Jesus Christ. Now I know today, fast forward 2,000 years, and a Christian can mean anything. People call themselves Christians who never read their Bible, never go to church, don't love God, they call themselves Christians. But I'm talking about a Bible Christian. They were, they were people who took their faith seriously. Their lives had been transformed by the gospel. Let me tell you, religion will not impact our culture. 
Being religious will not impact our culture. It will not impress people. But spirit-filled, spirit-guided, godly people will have a light that will shine. They'll be able to see your light. You know what? We ought, if you're saved, you ought to have a light. It ought to be shining. And not just in this assembly, but in the community. They will see there's a difference in this person. There's a difference in this family. There's a difference in the way they act. There's a difference in the way they behave. There's a difference in the way they talk. You know why? Because they're Christians. They're Christians. They live differently. They act differently. That ought to be said about us, amen? There were, there were definitely converts. But because they were real converts, we're going to go through a few of these things in 42 and following, but we're not going to... We're not going to really dig down in any of them. We just want to kind of point them out. Verse 42 tells us this about them. They took their Bible seriously. It says in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doesn't that sound like they took their Bible seriously? I don't mean they took it to church seriously. That in itself would be a big step for some people. Just to take their Bible to church. Right? But I'm talking about they took the doctrine of the Bible seriously. They took the message of the they wanted to know their Bible. Real Christians want to know the Bible. They want to study the Bible. They want to learn the Bible. They want to live by the Bible. They took their Bible seriously. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They're teaching, the apostles' teaching. Most of you would know this, but in many ways and places. Bible doctrine is sort of minimized in our generation, like it doesn't really matter. But it matters. It matters to God, and it ought to matter to us. These people were in the Word. They were changed by the Word of God. They wanted to live by the Word of God. They were following the teaching of the apostles. They took their Bible seriously. Second of all, they were committed to each other. Look in verse 42, and it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and Fellowship. The word fellowship means partnership, sharing in common, koinonia. They were connected to each other. They were connected to each other. Why? Because they were Christians. Because they were church members. They belonged to each other. This is, we're talking about the way they lived. The way they lived impacted their impression they were making in the community. They were committed to each other. It says in verse 44, all they believed were together. They were together. They were on the same page. They were committed to each other. Not just on Sunday nights or Sunday mornings, but in life. Look in verse 44, it says, they were all believed were together and had all things common. They were committed to each other. Another thing I notice in this passage about these people, and it's just brief, but I don't think it's incidental. Verse 42 says, They commit, continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. They were praying people. Prayer was a vital part of their ministry. It's right here in the Bible. Right? Prayer was a vital part of their ministry. They prayed together. 
I think we would all admit tonight that we could work on this some. We could, this could use some attention. Praying together. Prayer was a part of their life. The place of prayer. If you, we're not going to look at it, but if you, if you were to go through the first part of the book of Acts, you see how often they prayed together. When they were persecuted, they prayed together. Right? What they do when they got persecuted, they got together and prayed. Asked God to help them, give them boldness. Before the outpouring of the Spirit of God, they were praying together for ten days. They prayed together. You can get, you can get people... You can get people to church a lot of times for the first thing that's mentioned there in 42, having, it says about breaking your bread. If that's talking about eating, we can, get, we can do that, right? We can get together and eat. How many people get together for a prayer meeting? Right? Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that people who claim to know and love God aren't interested in getting together and praying together? We might, we might get close to an explanation as to why we're not influencing the community if we don't take prayer seriously. We don't impact the community because of our building or because of our program. The, the way we impact our community is because of God. And God works in answer to prayer, right? They were praying people. We need God's help. I don't, I don't mean this to say on derogatory or certainly blasphemous or disrespectful. But it doesn't take a whole lot of God's help just to meet like this. Right? I mean, did you, I doubt if most of us pray and ask God to please help us. We're gonna, we want to sit and sing songs tonight. But I tell you, it takes God's help to impact a community. We're we're talking about impacting the community. Most people in this room, I really believe most people in this room are saved. Thank God for that. But Jesus didn't just leave us here so we can be saved and comfortable. He left us here that we might impact the community. So they were a praying people. We need His help. We need God's help. Another thing that was present in this assembly, if you look in verse 43, was it says fear came upon every soul. There was a fear of God in the place. A fear of God. A wholesome reverence for God. The fear of the Lord is an important component to our, to our lives, individually in our families, but also in the church. The fear of the Lord will be accompanied by purity. You know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. When people don't fear God, they'll do about anything. They'll say about anything. They'll go about anywhere because they don't fear God. You fear God, it changes the way you think. Changes the way you live, changes the way you act, changes the way we talk. You know why? Because we fear the Lord. And I would like to, I would want, I would like to see this world fearing God more, wouldn't you? I'd like to see our elected officials fearing God more. I'd like to see people in this community where we live fearing God more. But it ought to start in the house of God. This fear of God, this reverence for God. I, I, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy worship. It doesn't mean that. We'll get to that in a moment. 
But churches seem to be downplaying God's holiness, promoting a casualness, to try to impress, to try to improve our community relations. And I, I don't think we ought to make it hard to come to church. We shouldn't. We shouldn't make it hard for people to interact with Christians. But I'm telling you, there ought to be a fear of God among God's people. This, this, this is a strategy of church growth that's far into the scripture. We're going to kind of just, we're going to act like God is just the man upstairs and he's our buddy and, you know, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. If you don't have a fear of God in your life, you're missing something that will make a great difference in your life for good. So there was a fear of God present. And then verse 43, God was working. Let's just give it that sort of a a title, this thought. God was working. It says many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. God was working. He was answering their prayers. God's power was being demonstrated. How? Because He was working in people's lives. We We ought to want to see God work. We want to see God work in our lives. We want to see God work in our church, in our families. We want to see God work. So all these things are going on in this church. Another thing we see is they were very generous. Look in verse 45. They sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. They were very generous. They weren't selfish. Can I tell you, selfish and revival, the two things, selfishness and revival, can really not coexist. Selfishness, as you know, you hear it often from this pulpit, you hear it from a lot of places, you hear it from the Bible. Selfishness permeates our culture. Lovers of self more than lovers of God. That's our culture. But these people were selfless. They weren't selfish, they were selfless. Even sacrificial, noticeably generous servants of God. They were generous. Look at another thing you see about him in verse 46. They continuing daily, notice the next three words, with one accord. They were unified. One accord. It's like in unison. It's like a melody. They're in unison. They're in harmony. One accord. There was harmony in their midst. This, I, believe, I believe if you'd look, if you were to study these things and spend time in these things, just, we're just briefly looking at them tonight. We could see not only positive qualities, but we look at the negative side of it and see the danger of negative, the negative side of it. And I'll tell you, I think one of the most, the greatest hindrances to evangelism and missions is strife among God's people. I really believe that. You know, I can't prove this, but my observation is if you look at our culture and look at the verbal negative attacks that come against God's people, the verbal negative attacks, they don't come generally from the lost people. They come from other Christians. Isn't that sick? I mean, it really is. These people were in unity. They were unified. Look in verse 46, it says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. These people were happy. They were rejoicing. God's people ought to be happy people. 
They were rejoicing. There was gladness. Why wouldn't they be happy? They'd just gotten saved. Most of them just gotten saved. God was their father. They were Christians. Now, Bible believers ought to be joyous people. We have, I believe we have more people reason to rejoice than anybody on the planet. Don't you? We do. Why? Because we're saved. We don't live for this world. We have, we have the Bible, God's record, God eternal, wrote down His will for us and put it in a book and we have it to read. It's an amazing thing. We have, if you're saved, the Spirit of God lives within you. God Himself lives within you. Right? Our sins are forgiven. Heaven is our home. God is our Father. Jesus is our Savior. We ought to be a glad people. Right? These people were rejoicing. Another thing we see about them in verse 46. It says they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. That's an interesting phrase. Singleness of heart. They had purpose. Purposeful. They were not pulled in every direction. Think about this for a few minutes tonight. I think one of the things that hurts us in the Lord's work sometimes, and I mean me and all of us, churches, is we're pulled in so many different directions. You know, we got this, we got to do this, we got to do that, we're pulled in this, we got this activity and this belonged to that and all this stuff. These people had singleness of heart. They were not double-minded. What if you, think about this. I'm not going to give you a homework assignment tonight. But, if I, but if, I, if I were to ask you to do this, take a piece of paper and in a sentence, you write down what your great purpose in life is. What would you write down? To retire, to get your house paid for, get all your kids gone so you can have an empty nest. All these are good, all these are good goals. <laughs> but you know what our purpose in life ought to be? It ought to be to glorify God. That ought to be our purpose in life. To bring glory and honor and praise to the one who created us. They had purpose of heart. We have so many things, so many interests, so many distractions. I told Brother Pittman yesterday, I was talking to him, and I said, I'm going to text you and give you some information about how to, when you get here, what to do. He texted me a couple hours later, and he said, you never texted me. I said, I have distraction disorder or something like that. We get so distracted. We're running around doing everything. I'm not against all this stuff, but I'm telling you, we're running around doing everything. Running here, running there, running there, running there. And you know what? We don't have much time at all for just serving God and trying to reach our community. Why is it that gets pushed back behind everything else? They had singleness of heart. And by the way, it showed up. And they were influencing their community. Having favor with all the people. And then look in verse 47. They were praising God. There was sincere worship. They weren't just singing songs about God. They were praising God. 
They were lifting their voices with heartfelt worship to the God that they loved. They were worshiping God. They were praising God. They were giving God glory. I don't think, I don't think worship should all be all about emotion. You know what I'm saying? It shouldn't be all about emotion, but there's emotion involved. I tell you, there's emotion. There ought to be some emotion. If we love God, if we want to serve God and worship God, if we want to give Him praise. And what was the result of all this? Here's one of the results. Look in verse 47. People were being saved. Look at it. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord was adding people. People were being converted. People in the community were being converted, not just occasionally, but every day. Every day people were being saved. Evangelism was a way of life. You know, when people, when people genuinely get saved, it impacts other people. Right? Yeah. You could probably go back in your life to when you got converted, especially you got converted as a teenager as an adult. You could go back in your life to when you got converted and you could, not bragging, not boasting, but humbly and honestly say other people could see the change in your life. Right? Salvation does that. Salvation does Now sometimes we, we kind of get into our routine and get into, our, get into a rut sometimes and we forget about how important those things are. But how are those people out there going to find out about the God who wants to save them? A lot of times they find out by rubbing shoulders with someone that God has saved. And they see that God has changed our life. He's made us, he's made us different people. Amen? He's made us different people. Not because we've come into this building, but because He came into our hearts. He's made us different people. This had a profound influence on this community every day. This was, by the way, I mean, I know St. Clair is a big, thriving metropolis, but Jerusalem was a much bigger city. And yet they were having an impact on that. So to me, and I've taught on this passage before, but to me, what we read about in verses 42 through 47 contributed to that phrase in verse 47, having favor with all the people. They were having favor with all the people because of what was going on in their life. Because what was going on in their assembly. Because what was going on in their hearts. When we think about reaching people, we often think about giving out gospel tracts. That's a good thing. We do that. We think about giving to missions. That's a part of it. Please hear me tonight. When we think about reaching people, we think about ministries, outreach ministries, maybe the bus ministry, maybe something like that, going into the jails or nursing. We think about those things and that's important. But this was not just about what they were doing as far as their outreach ministry. This is about what they were doing as far as their relationship with God is concerned. 
I know that churches sometimes try to mimic the world and make the worship experience more comfortable to the carnal life to try to increase their attendance. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. I think it does work to get numbers. I think it does work. People, people come. I mean, if you, if you were to start, get the word gets out, you know, that they've, they've, now they've got, you know, they've got drums on the platform and they've got their guitars up there and, 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 and now they're, you know, they, they've, They've gotten rid of the bright lights. They got dark, sh- dark lights, and it's sort, sort of a, a nightclub-looking atmosphere. And boy, the music is a lot more friendly and warm. And and, and they don't do much preaching. A lot of singing, not much preaching. You know what? People kind of like that stuff. Tell them, it, tell them, and holiness doesn't matter. Those kind of things. You know, people kind of like that stuff. But we're not trying to just build an attendance. We're trying to make disciples, and we're trying to get people saved. We ought to want to reach people. Everybody in this room ought to be interested in that. Everybody in this room ought to be interested in, in being a follower of Jesus personally and reaching people with the gospel. But this is the model of church growth that's found in the Bible. It's not just about having programs and having those things and, and trying to, to make ourselves palatable to the community. It's about having a walk with God that's so sincere that God is blessing and we're seeking God and praying and, and, and trying to live for God and loving one another until God uses that in the community. That's God's plan. It's about having a sincere walk with God that other lives will be impacted. This kind of atmosphere should permeate the Lord's churches. It's our responsibility to influence our area. I I don't know what the other 20 churches are doing, but I know what's our responsibility is. It's to impact our area. Young teenagers, it's your job. It's your responsibility. It's your God-given responsibility to try to reach as many teenagers with the gospel as you can. And the same with us, children, families, people who are struggling, people with addictions, people whose lives are shattered. It's our job to try to reach as many people as we can. And we ought to do it with outreach, but we ought to also be asking God to do in us what needs to be done that we can impact this community. We're to be salt and light. This was a a praying church. This was a witnessing church. It was a rejoicing church. It was a worshiping church. It was a loving church. It was a giving church. It was a caring church. It was a Bible-studying church. If you're a Christian, and all you do is manage to read a couple of verses of the Bible every day, and you don't study the Bible, and you're not trying to live out the Bible, you're not being what this... This passage talks about. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The greatest hindrance to a church's influence, in my opinion, is not the condition or what's going on in the bars or the taverns or the gambling casinos or the crack houses. The greatest hindrance. It's what's going on in the lives of Christians. We want to influence our community. Right? Wouldn't it be good if all of us could say, not just with our lips, but with our lives, that's what we want. We want to make a difference in this community. People are dying without Christ. Going into a hopeless eternity. 
We want to influence our community. How do we, how do we start? We, this is how we start right here. This is how we start, by becoming thorough, through and through, 100% Bible Christians, praying people, praying with one another, praying for lost people, learning and studying the Bible, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, being focused, single-minded, focused, being a rejoicing people. Who would want to come to a church? Who would, want to, who would want to come to a God whose people are just dejected and negative and pessimistic? Amen? Who would want that, God? That's your people? That's the way your people are? God's people should be happy people. Amen? Influencing our community. I'm not against programs. We have them. I'm not against trying to plan and have a strategy and how to reach more people. I'm for all of that, every bit of that. But this is where, this is the foundation of it right here. That's what I'm trying to get across tonight. This is the foundation of it right here. I want to be like this, these people right here. Right? Amen.